Uh, so this reading will be from James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, and then also verse 12. Hear now God's word. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may mature, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And now verse 12. Blessed is the man who preserves, who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Maybe see it. Thanks, Titus. Appreciate that, brother. Amen. It's a good word for us this morning. So if you remember, I um, sent out an email, and I think I might have put it on Facebook too. I don't know. But asking if you had some uh, topics you'd like me to cover in uh, my sermons the next uh, number of months. And this morning is the first one that I'm getting to. So um, over the next few months, I hope to be able to get to as many as possible. Um, I have some great things. I'm not, don't worry, I won't tell you who asked for what, so I'm not going to call you out or anything. So that way, it's, it's, uh, we can all just enjoy it and not be distracted. Make sense? All right. So the name of this message is Strengthening Our Spiritual Muscles. <laughs> Thomas Guthrie once said this, listen to these words, as in nature and in the arts, so in grace. It is rough treatment that gives souls as well as stones their luster. The more the diamond is cut, just hearing that isn't comfortable, is it? The more the diamond is cut, the brighter it sparkles. And in what seems hard dealings, God has no end in view but to perfect our graces. In a wonderful way of putting it. Now the question is, that's nice and eloquent, but do you believe that? Another means when you're going, in other words, when you're going through the ringer, there seems no way out in sight, no relief. When life keeps throwing you curveballs, curve after curve, obstacle after obstacle, can you count it all joy? That's what we just read in James, right? Count it all joy. That's the question. Now, you can, if you believe God in his sovereign grace is deliberately using trials in your life in order to mold you, listen to this, mold you into the godly, steadfast Christian that you long to be deep in your heart. If you know Jesus, isn't that what you want most? Is to be a sturdy, solid believer with, with a godly character? Now here's the way, in case that's a little bit too obscure and philosophical for you, let me ground it for you. If you could hear people standing and speaking at your funeral, right, that brings it down. Wouldn't you want to hear things like, oh, there's one thing you could say about him or about her. They're a solid Christian. Or, what a mature woman of faith. I love to pour out my problems out to her and then just listen to her drip with godly wisdom and insight and grace. And I don't know about you, but almost equal to because of him I became or her I became a Christian is because of his or her life I walk closer to Jesus today. When you want that to be said about you in truth, now, I don't know about you, but that's what I want the Lord to create in me, right? And I have prayed it often, and I do pray it often. Um, Lord, make me a godly, mature Christian 
man. A man who glorifies you because you saved me by your grace. A man who you can use to bless other fellow, fellow pilgrims who are also suffering on, that, on their way to the celestial city. And also, Lord, maybe to bring some others to come along who are lost, that they might be found because of my testimony of your grace in my life. That's precisely why I need to count it all joy when I face trials of many kinds. Why? Because this is how God answers my prayer to become a godly Christian man and to be useful in his service. That's what the Bible teaches, particularly as we just read it in James chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and then we're going to skip down later to verse 12, one other verse. So what we're going to see is this in this text. Christians can rejoice in trials since our loving Heavenly Father uses them in our lives to complete our faith in this life, now listen, and reward us in the life to come. That's why we can rejoice, because trials have a purpose. To grow us now in grace, and then that we might be rewarded on the day of Christ Jesus. So we're going to take a look at two things, very simple, I'm going to keep it right to the point this morning. Who? The first question we're going to ask James again. James, who can rejoice in all the trials? <laughs> Which people? That's an important question. Secondly, why can they rejoice? Two simple things. Who is a part of this rejoicing? Who can actually do this? And secondly, why? What's the, what's the reason they could rejoice even in suffering? So we're going to look, take a look at the first one. Who can rejoice? Look at verse 2 of chapter 1 of the book of James. Consider it or count it in the Greek. Pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, you might have heard this by Frederick Nietzsche, even if you're not a great philosophy person, even if you haven't read tons of it, you might have heard this one. What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Come on, admit you've heard that somewhere before. Well, it was Frederick Nietzsche that said that, and unfortunately, that wasn't true about him. Yeah, that's the irony. The irony is he died in a mental institution, Claiming to be Jesus. Didn't make him stronger. Just saying. The fact is, unbelievers have no assurance that trials will make them better. As a matter of fact, very often trials make people what? Bitter. Not better. These words assuring us that trials are used by God to make us better when we cooperate by faith, they're giving, they're, these promises are given to believers, those who trust in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ unto the forgiveness of their sins and unto a new life. Now look at, notice how, first of all, in case you're saying, oh, where are you, where are you getting this from in the text? How does James address his letter? Dear world? No. How does he say? What does he say? Dear brothers. The word there in the Greek is brethren. It means brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking to the church. He's talking to those whom Jesus has redeemed through his precious blood. The brothers are told, brothers and sisters, to consider it pure joy when they fall into all kinds of trials because God uses them in their lives to develop a really important, important thing in life, and that's perseverance, maturity. So before I go any further, 
of course, we have to ask ourselves the question, am I a brother? Am I a sister in Christ? It's a good and important question. You certainly don't want to spend any more time doing anything else in your life if that question isn't settled. Make sure that you have acknowledged your sins and you've come humbly to Jesus and said, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Have mercy on me, a sinner. He who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. That's the promise. If you're hearing it this morning, you're not sure. You can be sure. Well, if you are a brother and a sister or a sister in Christ, then you could take these words to heart and you could view even trials and suffering as instruments in your loving Heavenly Father's hands to make you into the person He wants you to be. And who, at your heart, you want to be. These words are written specifically with you in mind. And notice what, what James says. Believe me, we're going to keep going deeper and deeper down this hole, and it's a great, beautiful hole. He says, count it all joy, not if you face trials of many kinds. Are you with me, church? But whenever they're coming. Don't be taken by surprise. Don't be oh, like, you know, when we're like, oh my goodness, I had no, yeah, you have an idea. Because God's telling you they're coming. John Calvin puts it this way. Whomever the Lord has adopted and deemed worthy of his fellowship ought to prepare themselves for a hard, toilsome, and unquiet life crammed with very many and various kinds of evil. Now listen, here's the point. It is the Heavenly Father's will thus to exercise them so as to put his own children to a definite test. Now listen, I like the way the count puts this. Beginning with Christ, his firstborn, he follows this plan with all of his children. You get that? Jesus is the mold, and we all follow. If we're his, we belong to him. And of course he does. Think about it this way. He, our Heavenly Father doesn't want our spiritual muscles to be flabby. What good father would want that? He, he loves us too much, in other words. Let me put it to you this way. Think about this. He loves you too much to spoil you. Yeah, you ever notice whenever you try to discipline, lovingly discipline your children, lovingly care for them, give some kind of parameters? Why? Because you don't want them to grow up to be what? Spoiled brats. Am I wrong? Well, God is a better father, a better parent than we will ever be, and he wants to make sure we're not spoiled children. Selfish. That's what the Bible tells us. Romans 8, 29. Listen to this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, that means destined ahead of time, to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. Listen, God is determined to conform you into the image of his son. Why? Think about this. So that Jesus would have plenty of younger brothers and sisters who look just like him eventually. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Listen, this is powerful. Though our feelings for God come and go, can I get a witness? I'm not always every, two, every minute of every day on, you know, on fire. Though our feelings for God come and go, his love for us does not. Can you say praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. Amen. It is not wearied by our sins. 
or our indifference. And therefore, it is quite relentless in its determination. Here it is. I love C.S. Lewis has so many zingers. It is in its determination that we should be cured of those sins at whatever cost to us. You get that? Or whatever cost to him. Right? We know he means what he says because he gave his very life to conform us in his image. And even if it hurts us, this is, you know, you know what pirates would say that old thing, it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. You know, we all say, yeah, right. Well, in this case, that was true. No one will ever go through what Jesus went through. And when he disciplines us as his children, it does hurt, for sure. On some level, at least. But... This is why we consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. So James answers the first question as to who can rejoice and count it all joy. Now he's going to talk about why, a little more detail, we can rejoice in these trials. Look at verse 3 real quick. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I want you to hear this, because so often uh, folks think, oh, what God is saying here is put a good spin on it. <laughs> what God is saying is, look at the glasses half full, not half empty. Right? That's not what, what he's saying. He's saying it's a plain biblical fact, a fact of life, that the testing of your faith develops perseverance in your life. Now, as a general rule, that's what trials do for genuine believers. And we know this because we've all experienced it in one degree or another. We find that the trials that we feared actually make our faith what? Stronger. They cause us to lean harder on our Savior. They cause us to cry out to Him more fervently and do what? Follow Him and His Word more closely. Do you ever notice when you're going through trials, when you're going through suffering, all of a sudden the Bible comes alive? And all of a sudden, you're listening. Like, you weren't really listening before, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh, now I hear you. Wow, how did I miss this before? Walter Hendrickson puts it this way. God allows hardships to enter our lives to build our spiritual muscles. He has a reason. Now, I'm going to go further. I'm going to go further because James goes further. It's not just that God allows these things to build our spiritual muscles. Listen, church, it's the only way that perseverance can be developed. It's in the crucible of the fiery testing. Listen, you know dross in gold? It's not coming out unless it goes through the fire. Can I get an amen? It's still going to be, you know, you try it. We, we work around it. We try all these other ways of getting it out. But bottom line is, we need the fire, or it ain't coming out. He's reminding James's, these early believers, and us of a strong gospel truth that we know deep in our hearts. God uses in our hearts to develop perseverance. And you know what the word is in the Greek? Stick to itness. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times I'll write songs and only get halfway done and scrap them. Write books, read, you know, how many books on my shelf did I get so far? Well, God doesn't want that to be true of us in our Christian lives. He wants us to go all the way and make it, stick to it. 
You know that old saying I like to bring up, but it's one of my favorites, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. Right? You're not going to learn how to be a great sailor and you're sitting on placid waters. Nothing happening. It's going to be in the battle, in the heat, where you're going to learn under the pressure, under the cooker. So when you're dealing with that unreasonable boss, you want me to bring it down a little bit? The rebellious teenager, health issues, financial setbacks, persecution for your faith. Don't worry, we've got a whole sermon on that next week. Do you rejoice knowing that these things are extensions of the fingers of God? Molding and pinching you into a complete, mature Christian who's going to stick with Jesus, come what may? Remember, that's why I brought that song. We sang that song earlier. Have thine own way. Oh Lord, have thine own what? Thou art the potter. I'm what? The hard rock? The metal? No, the clay. Mold me, Lord. Pinch me. James doesn't say, listen, this is important. James doesn't say, feel joyful. Did you notice the text didn't say that? Feel joyful? It didn't. He also didn't say, enjoy the suffering. <laughs> you didn't see that, did you? No. What does he say? He says, rather, consider it all joy or count it. Chalk it up to all joy. Because you know the end result of it is what? Luscious fruit. Steadfastness in faith. A mature faith. The desire of everyone who's been born of God. Listen, with our children, when they're young, we love to feed them. We we do. But if they're older and we still have to do those things, that's tragic, right? It's sad. God is truly more concerned that our faith is strengthened and that it's genuine and mature enough to get us through this life still believing and persevering to the end than he is that we live a pain-free, struggle-free life. You get that? He's more concerned that when the dust is cleared, the smoke is cleared, false believers have already gone back into the world, you'll still be found standing. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And God says, I want to make sure he will find it in you. John Ackerman points out this. This is a pretty interesting thing that I read. For two years, scientists sequestered themselves in an artificial environment called Biosphere 2. Inside their self-sustaining community, the Biospherians, that's what he calls them, created a number of mini-environments including a desert, a rainforest, even an ocean in this biosphere. Nearly every weather condition could be simulated except one, wind. Over time, the effects of their windless environment became apparent. A number of acacia trees bent over and even snapped. Why? Because without the stress of wind to strengthen the wood, the trunks grew weak and could not hold up their own weight. Isn't that crazy? So God wants to make sure you can hold up your own weight. And not just your own weight, but the weight of your brothers and sisters and the weight of the world who needs to hear about God's work in Christ. Now think of it this way. Who are your heroes in the faith? I'm not going to list all mine. 
But let's just think one in the Old Testament. Because we've been hearing about him. Moses. That man was a man of suffering. He was a man of suffering. In case you haven't noticed, don't worry, you'll notice it more as Pete continues to go through the book of Exodus. What about Esther and Ruth? Man, they went through it. They're women of sorrow and suffering and difficulty. What about Paul? I don't need to tell you about Paul, do I? What about modern day John Perkins? Right? The father of CCDA, Christian Community Development Association. All the race, racism and all the suffering that he had to deal with. And yet look at the fruit of his life, how he has blessed uh, the church with his witness of forgiveness and of racial reconciliation. I can go on and on with examples, but C.H. Spurgeon just puts it simple for us. Many men and women owe their grand, the grandeur of their lives to their tremendous difficulties. Isn't that powerful? Why are they such great people, men and women of faith? Because of the difficulties that God grew them through. You know, one of my favorite sayings that I don't care if I repeat it all the time. I'm going to do it again. A jewel is a bit of ordinary earth which is passed through some extraordinary circumstances. Isn't that powerful? What's a jewel? It's ordinary dirt. That because it went through such severe circumstances became jewels. And, you know, I do. I, I want to ask myself, do I want to be a piece of dirt that's only fit for somebody to walk over? Or do I want to be a jewel? In Jesus' crown. That I might be a blessing. So we're to consider it all joy when we face trials of many kinds because of what it does in us. It makes us mature in faith in this life. But there's another reason. And we're going to jump down to verse 12. And that's the last thing we're going to look at. Verse 12, James gives us another reason to count it all joy when we face all kinds of suffering and trials. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to who? Those who love him. So not only are we, considered, are, are we to consider it all joy because of what suffering does in us now as believers, but also because of what waits for those who love God after they have stood the test, what does he say? The promised crown of life. That's future, brothers and sisters. John Trapp puts it this way. He that rides to be crowned will not think much of a rainy day. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I like that. In other words, no matter what I'm going through, I know where I'm headed. I know where I'm going. I know what's at the end of this road. As I mentioned earlier, Romans 8.18, I consider that our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What Paul is saying is take all your suffering, take all your trials, it's not even worth comparing with what God has in store for you when he comes again. Now you may know this story, but I'm going to repeat it again because I think it really illustrates the message. When George Matheson was entering into a promising career, a doctor said to him, imagine this, listen, you'd better see your friends soon before the long darkness will settle upon you and you will see them no more 
forever. That was a doctor's way of saying that soon Matheson would become totally blind. He was engaged to a beautiful young lady, so he told her of his diagnosis and that it was soon going to happen. He would be blind. And he gave her permission to break the engagement. Well, as you can imagine, she did. The great sorrow deepened his devotion to God. During that soul-refining trial, Matheson wrote these words to a hymn that would bless the church of Jesus Christ for years to come. Listen to these words, real short and brief, but I want you to hear them. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. Now listen to these wonderful words. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise not in vain that morn shall tearless be. Brothers and sisters, that's what God is calling us to do, to trace the rain through the rainbow, to see the blessed end of those who cooperate with God in his purifying, refining fire in their lives. We can literally say, out of all people on this earth, the best is yet to come. And really mean it. It's true. It's not a, a, like this weak hope. It's a definite thing. One, one commentator put it this way about what, what James is calling us to do. Rejoice and count it all joy. It's an uncommon attitude toward a common experience. A common experience. Listen, we all suffer. I don't know about you. You want to suffer for Jesus? Or do you want to just suffer? See, I don't know about you, but it's not often that I find uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ and myself rejoicing when we experience trials and tribulations. Yet, here's the issue. That is the Christian way. <laughs> I don't know if anybody watches The Mandalorian. I might be the only Star Wars geek. But one of their, 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 thing, their mantra is basically this. This is the way. This is the way. And brothers and sisters, when we experience these trials and, and we should rejoice together and go, this is the way. This is the way. Remembering the cross and then the crown. Death and then resurrection. Humiliation and then exaltation. That crown of life. It's coming. I was thinking on the way here, honestly, in the car. Jesus already won. He's already defeated death, suffering, and hell. And, and he lives to talk about it. So this isn't some, this kingdom coming isn't something that we're all oh, I hope you know when you watch a movie I hope the good guys win. I know they win. And how humbled am I that he chose me to be on his side? I certainly don't deserve it. To wrap up our time in God's word this morning, I want to spend our last few moments, literally our last few moments in the word, looking at uh, verse 4 again. I'm quoting from the New American Standard Version, which just follows the Greek a little bit closer than the NIV. Puts it this way, listen. James 1.4 And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In nothing. Listen, suffering doesn't necessarily automatically even make believers better. Did you know that? Believers are called to let it do its work. 
cooperate with God. Let it do its perfect work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Did you know the same water that softens a potato boils an egg and makes it hard? Same boiling, right? You know, when we talk about sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, we talk about God, how to grow in grace, you know, what things, what elements help us to become holy. We talk about reading the Bible, we talk about prayer, we talk about fellowship. But you know the one thing that we miss? Suffering. So we don't realize is that without the suffering, we will not be holy people. Dick Lucas puts it this way. You cannot become mature, unblemished, and lacking of nothing except through the passing of years and manifold trials. Holiness is not an experience that you receive, but a proved Christian character that God makes. Isn't that powerful? So when we look for this quick fix for sanctification, oh Lord, I need this, this, this incredible spiritual experience, or maybe this is a quick way to get hold. There is no quick way. You know, like, like Supertramp says, take the long way home. You know how long it takes a mushroom to grow? All different types of mushrooms? Here's the time span between one to four days. You know how long it takes for a cedar of Lebanon, like kind of like an oak tree type of thing to grow and to become mature? 50 years. We've got to ask ourselves, do we want to be mushrooms or do we want to be solid oak for the glory of God? Now this is precisely why we can count it all joy when we face trials of many kinds. Because of what God is doing in our lives now and what he promises to do when he comes again. God is committed to us in Christ. So the, the bottom line is this, brothers and sisters, make the choice to rejoice. I'm going to close with a little, little poem, a song, um, and then we'll pray. This was written by the um, same author of Amazing Grace, John Newton, and his buddy, Cooper, I guess is how you pronounce it, but it sure looks like Cowper to me, C-O-W-P-E-R. But he went through a lot, Cowper. He had a lot of mental issues. He dealt with depression. And yet, um, and there, there was one time he almost committed suicide. So he, he went through it. And John Newton used to be a slave trader. And then at one point he got caught in the crosshairs of slave traders and became one himself. Uh, and he went through it a lot before uh, God conquered his heart and life. But here, re listen to this. And I think it'll bless you, um, hopefully, the way it's blessed me. It's called These Inward Trials. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. T'was he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hope that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I schemed cast out my feelings and laid me low. Now here's, here's the powerful part. 
Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Will thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou may seek thy all in me. Isn't that powerful? We ask God to make us mature, godly, holy. And God says, my pleasure. And he sends all kinds of trials. Not for our harm, but for our good, for his glory. And for the good of the world that will be blessed to benefit from what he's doing in our lives through Christ. Let's pray. Father, we indeed are learning more and more. Um, even if it's uh, three steps forward, two steps back, Lord. To count it all joy. Even in the midst of the manifold trials we face in this life. Just as living in a sinful world. And especially as those who belong to you living in a sinful world. So Lord, help us to... Uh, be deeply encouraged by your words here this morning and help us more and more to encourage one another uh, lovingly, patiently, and compassionately to um, indeed put it into practice for your glory and our own good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.